Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore, with hosts Jesse Dollamore and Brittany Page, a podcast dedicated to free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, but most importantly, a good time. Right, let's get this. Let's get this going. What do you say? Episode eighty, episode eight zero, December tenth, two thousand fourteen. This is I doubt it with Dollamore. I am your host, of course, as always, eighty times now, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting across from me is my lovely co-host Brittany Page. Hello. I thought you were going to say, "Let's get this thing popping." No, no. I'm actually not feeling very good. Mm. Kind of uh, hopefully will either pep up or this will end up being an abbreviated um, show. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably s- not that abbreviated. You sound happy about that. Well, I have my last statistics assignment that I'm still working on. Right. And you have class tomorrow. I do, where I will turn in my last statistics assignment, and then I will have my final next week. So That should make you happy. It's a pretty stressful time. You, Math causes you more stress than any other subject. I think I'm safe in, in that assumption. Yes. So next semester, you will have no math-based items it'll all be just psychology and you'll be able to bask in the warming glow of subjects that you're you're comfortable studying right so that's good Mm -hmm. yeah something you're not comfortable with double dipping gross as in if you've got a bowl of salsa or guacamole (laughs) you are not a fan of those who double dip no and we the reason we bring this up out of the blue is that you recently read an article about it and it reminded you of several months ago when you were with your your best friend and she tried to double dip on the sly while you weren't looking. Yeah, I caught her mid-betrayal, I like to say. (laughs) Because... Mid-betrayal. This was such a violation of everything. Your, absolutely your trust yes you are you is there let's say your your friendship was at 100 percent at the time of the betrayal or the almost betrayal because you did catch her mid-act if your friendship was at a hundred then is what is it now like a like a, a 25 or a 75 maybe i mean how much was lost it's still a hundred i'm just very suspicious now not even like a 99.75 no it's still a hundred but i just i have some lingering suspicions okay, let me here. ask this then but let me i want to i want to get deeper into this what if you had caught her mid double dip like she had gone through with it like she's 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 retracting the chip with items on it, getting ready to shovel it into her mouth after having double dipped. I think that's what the situation was. Oh, so it was a double dip. Her mouth was in the bowl. You know what? I don't remember anymore. It might have been she was almost... They were mozzarella sticks. So she almost had the mozzarella stick in the ranch or she did have it in the ranch. It was one of those things. I thought... Either way, it's an equal betrayal no, in my not, mind. No, it's not equal. Oh, you mean because it's the thought She was counts. going yeah, to yeah, do it right, until it, I turned around and saw what she was doing. The intent was there. Yes. Yeah, okay. Well, I see that. I see that. So still 100, though. Yes. So even had she uh, defiled the ranch ramekin with her, her filthy, dirty, filthy germs... Mm-hmm. She's listening right now to this too, by the way. So yeah, well, everyone should just settle down. Yeah, well, it's not I, like I'm saying it behind her back because she is most assuredly <laughs> going to be hearing me. 
I don't know what Katie could do to make me have any less of a friendly feeling toward her. It, it's just going to be 100%. I mean, unless she murders me or something like that. Well, then there'd be zero. There would be no feeling. Right. There's yeah. There has to be some serious violation to occur to to impact the the feelings that I have for her. But I did catch her mid-betrayal, and it was a problem because I don't like double dipping. Now, here's my thing. Double dipping's okay when you are double dipping in the same bowl as someone you, as Katie would put it, do stuff with. Right. So if you're intimate with someone. Right. Then it doesn't matter. And you're already swapping vile, disgusting germs. Right. Cooties, as the kids say. Right. Uh, that's okay. Right. Because, you know, certain parts are being put in certain places and mm -hmm. it's, it's already dirty. All right. <laughs> Some dirty stuff is going down. Now, as Katie said, when I caught her, she said that I didn't need to be mad about it because even though we don't do stuff, I don't need to be afraid of her germs. Why? Because they're they are pure as the, the freshly driven snow Mormon germs or I mean, she doesn't have any communicable diseases or sexually transmitted diseases that you have to worry about. So is that kind of where she was going with that? Probably, yeah. All those things are true. She so. does have a dog that I would imagine has licked her face once or twice. And dogs love to lick their own assholes and balls. So she may have something that you don't want in and around your mouth. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm laying it out. Okay, so that's my deal with the double dipping. And then I read this article today about a new show that's going to be on Nat Geo called Crowd Control. Yeah, um, I got a call about this uh, yesterday, a voicemail yesterday. Uh, maybe it was Monday. But I got a, a, a voicemail recently about this. And they really want me to watch the show, which coincidentally enough, I had already set a recording for it. So... Apparently, it's a big deal, the show. Right. And the guy who hosts it and I guess created it is named Dan Pink. And the point of the show is that it's like a hidden camera show that illustrates how real people react to experiments and behavior modification. Huh. And one example that I watched was about double dipping. And they showed a scene at a party and all these people thought they were like interviewing for a dating show. And they just decided to use hidden cameras to count the number of times that people double dip at this party. And it was disgusting. It's why I don't use dip at parties. Yeah. I will not use dip. And if there's like a bag I need to reach into to get chips, I won't eat chips. If they're not out where I can like pick them and they don't look like they've been finger effed too much. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So... In this video, these people are just double dipping willy nilly at this party. The willy nilly double dip. Yeah, it's disgusting. Wow. And just passing all their germs around. And what they do then is the next round of people that come in, like the next day or whatever, they decided to put out signs. And they had two different bowls of several different items. And in front of one of the bowls, it said single dipping bowl. And then in another bowl, it said double dipping bowl. And people were having, like, visceral reactions to this. Like, oh, I am most definitely a single dipper. That is disgusting. Are these the same people who were in the room the day before with no labeled bowls? I don't, I don't think oh, so. Okay, okay. But the point was to illustrate that when they're faced with either looking a certain way in front of other people or knowing that their behavior is... Right. They have some responsibility now. Yeah, yeah. Because they have to make a choice and people are going to see what choice they're making, then they're more likely to double dip in the single dip. But if they think they can get away with it, like they did the previous night. You mean they're more likely to not double dip in the single dip? No, I mean that well they have the option of the single dip bowl right, right. and the double dip bowl. Right. So they have to make a decision. Am I going to be a double dip person right. in public or am I going to be a single dip person so in public? People see you dipping into the double dip bowl. They know you're a double dipper. Right. And you're making the proclamation, hi, I'm a gross person. Right. Which is universally understood that that's the thing. I thought so. We However, there's people when I'm in social situations that give me crap for this. Yeah, well, it's it's people who are friends of ours and... The thing, just because you exchange germs with someone you're intimate with doesn't mean you want to exchange ger germs with someone with whom you're friendly. And right. Even like in a best friend type of circle, 
you still don't want that going on. Right. And I, I think a lot of people, because they know you're a germ conscious person. Mm-hmm. I didn't say germaphobe. Right. Because they know your your uh, sensitivity mm-hmm. to germ related matters mm-hmm. that they want to give you a little bit of a little bit of crap about it because they know it gets your gets your your metaphorical goat right and part of the reason i'm like this is because i was raised like this even as a kid i did not share drinks with my mom i did not share drinks with my siblings well, that could be dangerous in and of itself so <laughs> that's true and then i remember being in like middle school and the thing was people to share the their cans of soda and when you drink soda there's like a little bit of liquid that gets left in the right. rim well, there th- we always called it suck in the gutter right and and people would share drinks and then they would be like oh take your friends and uh, make them take the last bit of the spit and i'm like yeah that's not doing anything you know right. that's not doing anything if anything right? you're re-putting your dirty filthy suck onto the thing onto the the lip of the the can and again recontaminating it right but then again i've never I have never felt peer pressure and I've always been made fun of for this, even in middle school. And I would just always tell people to F off. Yeah, well, I I don't have the issue at all. I mean, unless you've got open sores on your mouth, I don't really have a problem. However, um, I do get I get your issue. I understand it. Mm-hmm. So Well, and there's obviously illustrated in this video, which is why I like the video, is that the people that were double double dipping were kind of sneaking their double dips and they were doing it because they thought they could get away with it. But then when they're faced with the decision of these labels being on the bowls and having to make a choice, then everyone is backing away from wanting to be perceived as a double dipper. Well, you know it's wrong. So right. why are you doing it? Right. Stop doing it. This has been maybe the longest opening topic uh, we've ever done. The longest opening casual topic we've ever done. I am passionate about double dipping. Or about not double dipping. About not double dipping. Yeah, she's. Mm-hmm. it's definitely... <laughs> if you haven't noticed, uh, she, is, she is very passionate about it. So here, I want to lead off with this too. Really quickly, I want to say this. Um, it has nothing to do with double dipping. Although we're double dipping on a topic. Last night on The Daily Show, they did one of their little, you know, pieces where they send their correspondent out to do, like, a funny piece. Um, Jordan Klepper. It was Jordan Klepper in this case. And he went out to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, to a diner called Mary's Gourmet Diner, which in episodes 43 and 45, we talked about both of these. Anyway, if you want to listen to our take on the Mary's Gourmet Diner thing, which I'm getting ready to explain in a second what it is. It's episode 45. It starts at about 20 minutes and 10 seconds is where we start talking about it. The only reason I want to bring it up is because while I was watching this, it was four months ago we did episode 45. And while I was watching it, I'm like, it's very reasonable. I, I'm totally, get, yeah, it's very, what happened was, I guess I should maybe do that. Mary's Gourmet Diner about five months ago offered a discount to people who prayed. A 15% discount. And then Freedom From Religion Foundation found out about it and wrote them a cease and desist letter or had their lawyer draft up something, scaring them into not giving the discount anymore. And we on this show, or I was the one doing the talking, so I can only speak for myself, but I didn't have a problem with the discount. Um, I think the words I used were... She, it's her business. She's free to lose as much money as she wants to. It doesn't matter. And, But I had forgotten exactly what take we took. What take we took on that episode. And when watching The Daily Show last night, I was a little, a little worried. I was just like, yeah, what, what did we come down? Because the, the case they made was very reasonable, very rational. They really made the freedom from religion guy look like a dick. They used that word over and over. And... um. It ended up that we pretty much had the same the same take, so I was happy about that. Right. I just wanted to uh, to talk about that because it's interesting that it's a topic we talked about four months ago. We covered it four months ago to the day, and here we are. And the Daily Show's little little slow on the up on the uptake. Apparently, yeah. So anyway, if you would like to check out that that previous episode of ours, like I said, episode forty five from August tenth, twenty fourteen. 
And the timestamp on that's about 20 minutes and 10 seconds. And we'd love you to check it out. So next up, we have a, it's a kind of a bit of a follow-up, but we have a voicemail regarding something we talked about left, last episode with, with um, Coast Guard Admiral William Lee. Um, Obama, uh, the Obama administration has passed some sort of uh, reg- regulation, or at least the Defense Department has, um, which is obviously a part of the Obama administration. So uh, they have passed some kind of a legisl- or some kind of policy where commanders are not allowed to be- pass out Bibles to their troops. It ne- that duty needs to be left specifically to chaplains. And a uh, regular listener to the show. Uh, his nickname is Burnt Reynolds. That's we call him that on the show, so that we're going to go with Burnt. But Burnt called in and left uh, an awesome, awesome voicemail. Uh, he served in, I believe, the United States Army. He's a combat veteran, and this is uh, his take on the whole matter. Hey guys, it's, uh, this is Burnt. Uh, I didn't really read the article, but uh, I do have something to say about the Bible thing, and I think it's awesome. Uh, I served in the Corongal Valley back in 08 09. And, uh, you know, when I started seeing my friends I went to basic with uh, lose their life. Uh, and then when I had to grapple with reality of taking someone else's life, uh, I didn't really know who to talk to. Uh, my leadership at the time was new to me, so I didn't really open up to them at all. And, and, and that changed over the course of the deployment. But uh, the first person that I was told to see was uh, the chaplain. And, you know, I was an atheist even back then. I had to talk to somebody, and so I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll give him a chance. And I did. And it just seemed like every single answer he had was like, God, look for God. And that just it's not enough for me and he didn't help me and he gave me homework as far as reading the Bible, reading these passages to help alleviate what he called stress at the time. But I think there's more anxiety myself. Uh I still deal with that stuff I did over there. The stuff I had to do over there. And uh you know, and I'm doing okay. But, yeah, I'm really happy that uh, Obama gave this order out. I think it's the best thing for the military to get as far away from religion as they possibly can. That's pretty much all I have to say. Uh, awesome show, guys. I love your show. Have a great day. So that was awesome, obviously. Very, very good. Very awesome. Very meaningful and, and thank, just awesome. Thank you for your service. Yes. Um, and I don't, obviously, I don't say that facetiously at all. I, I truly, truly mean that. It, it, um, there's sometimes bad things have to be done and terrible jobs have to be performed. And we would not be as a nation who we are right now without our military. Right. And I think that Burnt makes a beautiful point that that we were talking about on the previous episode, which is Bibles are good for some people. Bibles are not good for other people. And Burnt is a great example. He needed help. He needed assistance. He needed some coping help. Yeah. And he was not given that. He was given a Bible. He was told to read it. He was told that he was just dealing with stress rather than really dealing with the weight of the situation. And this is why we need psychology people. We need psychologists. We need psychiatrists. We need people who know the research on these issues and know how to aid people. Or at the very least, the whole hubaloo about atheist chaplains. At the very least, we need someone like an atheist chaplain, who I assume would be a psychologist, who has some understanding of counseling and stress, PTSD, those related issues. Right. But there needs to be easy access to someone of a secular nature in a counseling capacity. Because sending an atheist to a Christian who's just going to give him the Bible to read, as evidenced by this call and this firsthand account, it does nothing. It does nothing. 
Yeah, and it's really unfortunate. And I wish that, you know, Republicans champion the military and champion helping the military. They well, here always we, say they do. Yeah, here we have Burnt, who was an atheist and who needed assistance and who didn't receive what he should have received. He no. didn't get the support that he deserved they, while he was in his situation. His command structure failed him. And it maybe the the entire unit structure above his command failed the command. It doesn't matter. The military failed him in this in this case, and they should be ashamed. I mean, you have one duty to maintain your warfighters psychologically and physically, maintain your warfighters to keep them in a good place and good headspace, and they did not accomplish their mission where it relates to that. So. Right. That's a bummer. But luckily, you know, like he said, he is dealing with it and he's pulling through and he's doing good. And that is definitely a good thing. Super. Awesome. Thanks for the call. We appreciate you uh, reaching out. It's always nice to have a firsthand account rather than me blathering on about how, well, I I suspect this would be the case and blah, blah, blah. Right. I mean, I didn't I didn't serve in Iraq or Afghanistan. I have been out of the the. I was in the Marine Corps, if you don't remember that, everybody. Jesse was a Marine, everybody. <laughs> but so a lot of this new the, this new military, because when I was in, Don't Ask, Don't Tell had just been enacted by Clinton. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in boot camp w- w- the night that Clinton got elected on the election day. So mm-hmm. he, he, he took office, I want to say... Within three weeks of me being in the military, he took office. Or within three weeks of me graduating boot camp. Anyway, it was a different corps. It was a different Marine Corps. Like I said, thanks for your service. We appreciate the call. We very much appreciate you listening all the time and contributing when you do. And that article that you shared with us about the the trade agreement, I'm getting to it. Uh, It's just a lot to wade through, and I don't want to tackle it um, without any due research. So... Hold your horses. (laughs) So related to military stuff and our war fighting capability and our intelligence gathering, uh, the Senate Intelligence Committee at the hands of Dianne Feinstein, who is the California senator, just released a report on intelligence gathering and torture, I guess, effectively. And we're going to talk about it. This has been in the hopper for a long time for them to release this report. And ultimately what it says is that we did torture and and that what they're saying is that it had zero effect on intelligence gathering and the stopping of terrorist attacks. And that I believe is debatable. The first thing I think we need to talk about though when we when we address these issues, you can't just say torture because I am against torture. I'm against it. Well, everyone, I think, generally would say they're against torture. I don't know about that. But, but, you know, maybe maybe that's the case. Okay. I know a lot of people who think it's okay. I I don't believe it's okay. But, however... Well, you're getting to the point where you... What is torture, right? Exactly. That's... So it's hard to talk about who's for it and who's against it. Well, what is it? Well, it's it's a very gray line. It's not a fine line. People define there's certain things I'm okay with in the interrogation process Mm -hmm. that people consider torture. Right. Uh, I don't necessarily believe waterboarding is torture, but I'll give that. I'll let's say waterboarding is torture. I'll I'll give the other side that. They're saying that putting someone in stress positions, painful positions to sit or stand, that that is torture. They're saying that sleep deprivation is torture. They're saying that making a guy stand on a chair while dogs bark at him and scare him is torture. I don't believe any of those things I just mentioned are torture. They're a pain in the butt. They're inconvenient. They might be scary, but they're not torture. You're not breaking their bones. You're not driving spikes under their fingernails. They're generally going to be okay physically. That's right. Absolutely. That's what that's kind of is that your line for determining what is torture? It's a case by case. I, I don't listen. It, it, there is one there is one specific thing that I've been hearing that they did in this report, and I do believe it's terrible, it's deplorable, and it should not continue 
and it's where they force fed someone the rectal feedings and hydration yeah rectal hydration listen if you're starting to mess with someone rectally that's rape yeah that is something that is far we we are above that type of treatment we're there, above it there should be no touching of anyone's beehole no no it's 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 unbelievable that we sank to that level and we allowed that kind of treatment who who allowed that kind of stuff to be going on i don't i just shrugged my shoulders which isn't good for radio but i don't know it is unbelievable to me and i listen i know people who are we need to indict bush and get him up on war crimes and all this shit well one that's never going to happen yeah that's not not going to happen and two I don't even believe it should happen. When you are faced with a Khalid Sheikh Mohammed who has direct knowledge and understanding of future attacks and the power structure from which those attacks will will spurn, you need to get that information. It is immediate. And even before 9-11, when the embassy in Kenya and Tanzania were almost simultaneously bombed and hundreds of people were killed... This was only two years before 9-11. We were still on the, the lookout for those guys, those two Somalis who orchestrated that attack. Without enhanced interrogation, if you want to call it that, without rough treatment of these, these fanatical cowards, these terrorists, without it, you're not going to be able to get to the bottom of who's, who's where and what they're doing. Now, I'm not saying to force feed someone through their anus, because that is terrible, that is deplorable, as I've said, but if you want to scare the shit out of them with a dog, or you want to make them stand for eight hours and not let them sit or move to where their muscles hurt and ache, or you want to make them not sleep for five days, you go right ahead. I think that's okay. Because you can't can't whisper sweetly into a guy's ear and ask him, hey, um... Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, hey, uh, your beard looks really sexy. Would would you tell us where the bad guys are? Well, and that's where the complication comes in because people say that torturing these individuals or causing pain or scaring these individuals using certain tactics will just make them want to appease you and give you information that you want to hear or you think might be correct because they just want it to stop. And that's one possible outcome. For sure. To a degree, I agree with that. And it's just a complicated situation because like you said, well, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to sit down and serve them tea and biscotti and and have a conversation about where they come from and try to see, I mean, are they, is that how they're going to give information? I mean, there's not rules when determining how to get information from terrorists. Like I said, it should be case by case, and they should use their brains and be surgical and systematic about it. You you can't follow a textbook and, oh, we can't do it because it says we can't do it. You need to, you need to, first of all, don't be acting out of anger. All of this needs to be very calculated. And I I think the number and I don't quote me on this, but I think the number is that they they had waterboarded Khalid Sheikh Mohammed or or Abu Abazeda or whatever his name is. Um one of those two dudes, they had they had waterboarded like 138 times over the course of as many years. Yikes. That listen, you're not getting anything else after after, you know, number 10 or number 15. You're not getting anything else. So well, at that point, he's probably been conditioned to like it. Well, <laughs> he used it for his daily drinking. Yeah, yeah it, was like, you know? it was a form of like a massage on his face. Right, right, right. So we need to be smarter about it. And then the other thing is, listen, I understand having a policy against assassination. I understand having a policy as a nation against uh, a torture or even aggressive advanced te- interrogation. But the CIA really they really screwed the pooch here. Because if you're gonna if you're gonna be doing this and you're supposed to be the preeminent secret agency on the planet and you get caught bugging the Senate Intelligence Committee's phones to try to get them to not release this report, well then you're not doing your job right and we need to go through that place with a with with a freaking bleach bottle and clean house. 
We need to remove the dead wood. We need to remove the, the infrastructure within the CIA that's not getting it done and put in fresh blood that understands. I mean, listen, this is a new technological age we live in. It's a new psychological age that we live in. We need to get all of the Cold War relics out of, the, of our intelligence mechanism and get in new intelligent people who understand this new world in which we live. And that's ultimately it. I'm, I'm very disheartened about the fact that this is breaking down on party line with the exception of John McCain who has his own dog in the fight relative to torture because he was tortured for five or six years in a Vietnam prison camp after he was shot down during the Vietnam War. Um, but it's breaking down Republican-Democrat, and that's a bummer. It's a bummer because you don't have to side strictly with the CIA and say everything that they did was right. And hopefully you don't. Oh, me? No, uh, hopefully the people that are tempted to do that oh, don't. Oh, yeah, don't do that. And then also, you don't have to be like so many people we know, you and I know, Brittany, who are indict Bush, uh, everything they did was wrong. Because we don't live in a world like that. Unfortunately, we don't live in a black and white world. Well, and even though, I mean, that's that's kind of why this is so difficult, because you you don't want to say that you're for these things. You don't want to say that they are the best methods. But in some cases, do we know what the best method is? I mean, right. has that been figured out? What is the best method to get information out of a terrorist? I mean, has this been a research question in some kind of study? I don't. Well, how I, would we know? I don't know that it could be because every terrorist is different. Right. And so it some just... of them are more prone, more afraid of dogs. Some of them are more afraid of pork. Some of them are more afraid of being asked questions by a woman. They all have different socioeconomic backgrounds. Every, some of them are, are medical doctors. Some of them are just, you know, ghetto rats. Ghetto rats, huh? You know, taken out squalor, you know, the Palestinian ghettos. and Right. But some are, are you know, upper middle class kids. Right. And so there are people, like you were saying, that have this very idealistic view that right. we should never be entering into a territory where anyone feels even remotely threatened mentally or physically that we need to be treating everybody you know with respect and dignity and i mean these not, are, that's not reasonable in my mind these are sometimes people that have committed terrible acts of terrorism against the united states and killed many many people zachariah musawi was the 20th hijacker they believe he's been convicted how are we supposed to to deal with that guy who didn't make it on one of the planes? How are we supposed to deal with him? Like you said, tea, tea and biscuits, um, Barry White, and some nice slow jams and satin sheets. I mean, how how do you get the information you need out of him when there are imminent threats? He understands the power structure. Anyway, we're not going to go on and on about it, but it's a complicated issue. It's it's. For sure, not as easy as CIA bad, Democrats good, you know. And I have I have respect for Diane Feinstein. I don't think she's a terrible player, or a ter terrible person. She's certainly not one of these members of the Senate who throw political bombs. And she is the one who orchestrated the release of the documents. That's right. You know, so, I mean, had this been crazy political, this would have been released just before election time or something to harm the Republican candidate for president. I'm and they didn't do that. I'm sure our European listeners are probably um, essing their pants hearing about this. I was essing my pants hearing about some of it. Yeah. Not it's, good. It's pretty alarming. So, it, I mean, it's a sad day. But, you know, I, I don't even know that I... I, I don't know. It, it's a bummer. I, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed for, for our government, for the CIA. I'm embarrassed for, for both... The, the Bush administration and the Obama administration because it looks like the CIA got a little too big for its britches because they were doing things Bush did not know about. It, it, by their admission, that he didn't know. And once he did find out, it was stopped. Right. And then that's not me kissing up for Bush because everybody knows I think he was a terrible second-term president. But anyway, we'll, we'll leave this topic. There's going to be more to come in the days to follow. And we'll see where it develops and where, where it leads us. But bottom line, pretty much, it's unfortunate.
Absolutely. I think I guess that's that's the universal. Yeah. Everybody. It makes everybody cringe. It makes us all cringe. I'm just hoping that it doesn't cause isn't the catalyst for successful, effective terrorist attacks and uh, a glut of recruiting for these different organizations. Not like they needed motivation, but this I we don't need to create a catalyst. Right. It's alarming. Let's lighten it up. <laughs> Let's lighten it up a little bit. Food Babe, just the other day, about a week or so ago, wrote a rebuttal to her critics, and you can read it. We'll put a link to it on the on the on the Facebook page. But Brittany made a very interesting observation that I, I noticed when reading it, but I didn't put it into words and, and once I realized that it was more more chicanery. From Food Babe. Right. So I'll just read a portion of this blog that she posted in response to her critics. She says, an intelligent debate is welcome, but not all the discussion has been civil. There's a group of aggressive scientists, biased doctors, skeptics, lobbyists, and their anonymous web pages and social media sites, along with, in some cases, well-intended but misinformed people influenced by propaganda. <laughs> oh, food babe. <laughs> Attacking our work, other consumer advocacy groups, my partners, my friends, you, and me it, personally. Do you see what she does there? Our work, because she's talking to her website audience. So by making it about th them... All of them, the food babe army, by making it about all of them and not just her, it elicits their, it engenders their support. Right. So she continues, instead of focusing on the issues at hand I've raised about the food industry, their go-to criticisms are ad hominem personal attacks. They've attacked me as a woman in ways they'd never attack my male colleagues. I am personally being subjected to hate speech, harassment, and cyberbullying on a daily basis. Are her colleagues, does she have other nutter butter charlatans who are out there preaching propaganda? What, I, what colleagues does she mean? I don't know. Ugh, go ahead. And she says she won't dignify these with a response, blah, blah, blah. So what she's doing, though, is she's she starts out by saying there's a group of aggressive scientists, biased doctors, right? She's talking about people that have legitimate concerns with her work. Right. Right. She's a, they're attacking our work, the yeah. things that she posts, the things that she says, her research. Her research. Then she moves into saying... Instead of focusing on the issues at hands I've raised about the food industry, their go-to criticisms are personal attacks on her as a person. Right. So she's confusing personal attacks as on her as a person and criticisms of her work. She She's combining the two, and they are separate. Well, and then I, I don't know where you're going with how you're going to present the details here, but she also does this in the blog accompanied next to the text of the blog or kind of intermingled with it are very bright all these examples of people who have been terrible and mean right and hateful and wrong trolls internet trolls not legitimate if you look at all that people calling her ugly and fat and stupid or whatever who are pers attacking her, her her person not attacking her data or her her suppositions um, none of those people are scientists. No scientist is attacking her personally. Even what we've done here, I don't believe to be a personal attack. I might make my jokes, but what we've talked about is her profiting from the bogus information that she propagates. Right. The screenshots that she has in this blog of people saying, you know, terrible things. You are a stupid female. Kill yourself. Right. You, the typical kind of stuff you'd see on the Internet from trolls. What organ stays warm inside a dead girl's body? My D. This yeah. is just for you, food babe, and your ugly twat. I mean, yeah. these are terrible. These are unbelievable things that who's writing these things on the Internet. But anyway, these are not the concerns that she should have. Because these people are idiots. Right. When you, when you talk, when someone in the media or when we talk about Food Babe and her critics, those aren't the people we're talking about. Yeah, those aren't critics. We're those not are talking weirdos. about the people having raping her her corpse. That's not a critic. That's that's an idiot. That's also like 
what is wrong with that person? <laughs> yeah, well, he's a necrophiliac. It's uh, not even a funny joke yeah. to make. So anyway, we're not. Ta- those aren't the critics we're talking about. We're talking about reputable people within the science and nutrition and food industry, not uh, Joe Hillbilly with his laptop with his pants down around his ankles looking at food babes pictures. Ugh. Right. <laughs> I'm in what he's doing, not her pictures. No, I understand. She's she's attractive. Yeah, yeah, she's pretty. Yeah, everyone's ridiculous that's saying she's not attractive. Her her level of beauty is not what's the problem. Her skin might be a little dark for Billy Bob, the hillbilly. Oh, okay. You didn't get the Billy Bob, the hillbilly from the Billy Bob name? No, I was like, I think Billy Bob Thornton dates women of all colors. <laughs> all right, Jerry Joe. <laughs> now I'm trying to figure out who Jerry Joe is. It's just a, 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 a... I get it now. I'm messing right. with you. Ugh. Uh, where's Food Babe when I need her? Uh. <laughs> she would be a great co-host. That was a pregnant pause right there. That is what is called a pregnant pause. Uh. Mm. <laughs> so anyway, we'll put a link to that on the page and uh, judge for yourself. The veracity of what she's doing. It, it's amazing to me that she also doesn't have the sensibility to just leave her blogs up that she's written. If they're wrong, write a retraction underneath. Or before the blog, write a retraction. Don't just self-censor. Don't just yank the whole blog down, food babe. Vanny Hari. Ugh. No integrity. Zero. Up next, talking about somebody with a lot of integrity. I just happen to disagree about a couple points with him. The famed and wonderful and talented and lauded Neil deGrasse Tyson was recently interviewed by somebody from NPR, and I, I took issue with a couple things within the within the the text of the interview. Yeah, he rejects the label of atheist, not because he doesn't identify with their beliefs right but because he doesn't want to be put into that box of what people believe an atheist behaves like i I just there's one sentence in here that kind of gets to me and it it says uh he has he has as much interest in meeting with other people to discuss their absence of belief in god as in meeting with non-golfers to talk about their absence of a passion for watching golf In short, he doesn't take himself to exhibit the behaviors typically associated with being an atheist. Pretty much, it's exactly what you just said. My issue is, I don't mind being labeled an atheist because the things that I speak against isn't just, I don't get together with, well, one, I don't get together with other atheists to talk about these things. But when I am with other atheists and we talk about people and their belief in God, it's not... Listen, let's put it this way. It's kind of a difficult thing. If 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 golfers were continuing the the oppression and the stripping away of rights from people who were gay because it was against the handbook of golf, I would get together with non-golfers and talk about golfers. I would do that. If if golfers justified the owning of their caddies, the actual ownership, as though their caddy was chattel, I would have a problem. And I probably would get together with my fellow non-golfers to talk about golfers. But they don't, so I don't care. The problem is, is that Christianity is a divisive philosophy, and its history is deplorable. So I do label myself an atheist because it stands against that history of Christianity, that history of organized religion, whether it be Judaism, whether it be Islam, whether it be Christianity, all three, all of the big three have massive problems, massive problems, both in the texts of their philosophy and in the practice of their philosophy through history. So I just disagree generally with, with the, the great, Mr. Tyson on this matter.
the person that wrote this article makes a good point when they say, quote, cultural associations are unlikely to change if only those who fit the mold adopt the corresponding label. And I think that's important because when people think of atheists, they think of people like Richard Dawkins, who are a-holes and angry and talk about how there's different kinds of rape that aren't as bad as other kinds of rape, sure, you know, these sure. things. And there's not really, I mean, certain behaviors that go along with being an atheist. I know many atheists, and they're they're very different people. Sure. Uh, some people are liberal. Some people are conservative. Some people are PhDs. Some people are not. You know, so it's it's this wide spectrum of different kinds of education, different kinds of belief systems, and it's really complicated. And you can't just say this person's an atheist, this is how they'll likely behave. I mean, that's like saying this person's a Christian, that's how they'll behave. There's liberal yeah, right. Christians, there's sure. conservative Christians. It's it's more difficult to just put a label on someone and predict how they'll behave. So someone like Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's a very reasonable, kind, great, intelligent individual, him adopting the label atheist and being an outspoken atheist might be good absolutely for the atheist community because then people will get this idea of someone else that's an atheist that isn't like richard dawkins i could not agree with that anymore i think it would move the it would uh help the movement a lot if he were to join the fold uh come on in buddy but uh, still i think people know he's an atheist he's just not as outspoken about it so he's no lawrence krauss because that's kind of you know they're both cosmologists physicists and the you know Lawrence Krauss is just a little bit more vocal a little bit more quote-unquote dickish about it <laughs> right and Lawrence Krauss actually just came out and said that he thinks religion could go the way of homophobia with the next generation largely disappearing mm, I think it's and great that's a bold claim that I yeah. don't think at all is true but I, it's I think interesting. It'll, I think it'll happen probably within the next 200 years which I've said on the show, and which also is an easy thing to say, because everyone listening to the show will be dead, and no one will know if my prediction comes true. Including you. It's going to come true, though. I doubt it. Guaranteed. It's just been around for so long, it just seems like it's here to stay. Well, just imagine this. Over the course of the last 2,000 years, we've only been able to fly for 115 or so. We're just now starting to really get into the science and understand stuff. Anyway, for that, whatever that's worth, sound off if you have an opinion about it. 657-464-7609. Or you can certainly email the show, I doubt it at dollamore.com. As always, if you have something to say and you'd like to leave a voicemail, you can also record yourself on your smartphone and email it to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Here's a funny article uh, about dictatorial delights. Huh? What I mean by that is what different dictators, what they like to eat, what they were, what they were passionate about eating. What their favorite food was. Yeah, they were, some of them were like weirdo foodies. And this is funny because I'm obsessed with this kind of stuff. Like I've gone through the Wikipedia page where it says what the last meal was for several people that were on death row. That's, and, that's weird. I know, but it's really, it's kind of interesting to read all the different things that that people would eat and you can almost tell like people's socioeconomic status by the things that they would have as their last meal you know some people would or certainly their geography right i guess i wasn't taking that into account but there would be people that wanted you know a bunch of hostess snowballs and hostess ding-dongs <laughs> and really and like soda and that's it that's going to be next episode or we have we, we might have something planned for next episode so maybe the following. We, we got to do something about that. Read the different last meals of inmates because that's that's interesting. I think it's interesting. Yeah, I know. I think that's it. You just spark something super cool and we got to beat other shows to it before they steal our awesome idea. Right. And so I now know other podcasts listen to this show to get ideas and fodder for what they're going to mm, do. Mm -hmm. You know, it's true. Yeah, I do. <laughs> OK, so don't make me start naming names. So dictators favorite foods okay adolf hitler are you ready for this yeah i uh, i'm always i'm very interested in hitler okay pigeon stuffed with tongue liver and pistachio nuts what kind of tongue like just a little tiny pigeon tongue i don't know huh i don't know it Th sounds disgusting that well eating pigeon doesn't sound 
all that. I mean, listen, if you've got all that money and all that power and you can really eat anything you want and that's what you choose to eat, that's he seemed to be slumming that, you know, I, I expect better. Well, and people have always thought he was a vegetarian. Oh, right. Just right. because he was an advocate for animal rights. And it uses an example in this article about how he was fretting about the rights of lobsters imprisoned. Wow. Okay. But he was eating pigeons. And also murdering millions of human beings. <laughs> that would probably be the more important point to make over the pigeons. He, he's worried about he's worried about a couple lobsters, but ah, ten, six, ten million Jews, whatever. <laughs> I think he need to get his shit straight. Well, no one said he was smart. Okay, right. Okay, so Muammar Gaddafi from Libya, as Megyn Kelly would say it, Libya, Libya, Libya. His favorite food is couscous with camel meat. Yeah, not really luxurious or even out of the scope of his geographical area. It's, it's kind of, that's probably peasant food where he's from. Yeah, I... Uh... And he's purported to have been maybe maybe the richest man on the planet at the time of his death. Yeah, so this article says, like Hitler, Gaddafi was rumored to have suffered from uncontrollable flatulence. It's probably from all that camel meat. Uncontrollable. Yeah, just popping off. Sounds like me. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, they say the camel milk that Gaddafi liked to drink may have played its part in his disturbed digestion. Mm-hmm, camel milk. So, Fidel Castro, turtle soup, Mm-hmm. which I bet you is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And Benito Mussolini, this is weird. Don't you think that's weird? What, his favorite food? Raw garlic. And what the hell is that? Chiambellone pudding. Something like that. But raw garlic with that? Right. So my dad used to eat garlic like an apple. He would eat garlic Ooh, like wow. an apple. And in, spicy. In this article, it says he used to eat a whole bowl of it. Yeah, it says one of the Italian dictator's favorite dishes was a simple salad of roughly chopped raw garlic dressed with oil and lemon, which he maintained was good for his heart. Probably really good for his breath, too. Yeah, his his wife wasn't too excited over the, the bowl of garlic that he would eat raw. Wow. I can imagine how problematic that would be. Hastings Banda from Malawi. Favorite food? Guess what? You know what it is? Worms. Ugh. Worms. It's disgusting. Everything at your disposal and that's your favorite thing is worms. Right. So one time I have a story about watching someone eat worms. Uh, my dad's friend was over at our house when I was a kid and it had just rained. And I was looking at the worms all over the the concrete because when it rains, obviously all the worms are out. And he, my dad's friend, just picked one of these worms up and plopped it in his mouth and ate it. Yuck. And it was absolutely disgusting. I was horrified. So only two more I want to talk about is Pol Pot from Cambodia, uh, venison, and also cobra stew. And I think a lot of those those Southeast Asian cultures believe that if you eat snake and, and stuff like that, that it's good for your, your, man, your man bits. So hmm. he probably really thought that he had his mojo working. Well, this also said that he was plagued by gastric discomfort, again, a little flatulence problem, <laughs> and found it hard to sleep. So health problems related to those foods. And then finally, Kim Jong-il, the father of Kim Jong-un from North Korea, shark fin soup, and then also, and, you know, stereotypes exist for a reason, dog meat soup. Ugh. Which is weird because I heard... I've I've read somewhere or watched on a documentary about the the uns the ills the jongs whatever they are, and uh, he had imported Flemish rabbits those those giant those giant lop-eared rabbits that are like the size of dogs they're giant rabbits he had those imported so he could eat them from wherever like the, his nation's starving to death and he's having rabbits flown in on private jets so he can slaughter them and eat them. This also says he had a cellar of 10,000 bottles of fine wine and also had the finest cognac imported for his personal use each year. Hennessy's biggest customer was reportedly Kim Jong-il. Wow. And they also say that he um, employed 
a person to prepare him the most luxurious sushi in the world, the the Japanese puffer fish. Yeah. And that Which is poison. Yeah, he is reported to enjoy eating raw fish so much that he could start eating it when its mouth was still gasping and its tail still thrashing, is what they say. Wow. So he was just plopping that fish right in his mouth. Yeah, not a big surprise. Um, this actually, all this, some of this stuff can be found in this book called Dictator's Dinners, The Bad Taste Guide to Entertaining Tyrants by Victoria Clark and Melissa Scott. It's kind of interesting, I think, because these are some of the worst people that have ever lived. And when you think about that, you kind of wonder, well, what was what was their life like day to day? What kind of things did they like to do? And what kind of food did they like to eat? You know, what yeah. sustained Hitler? What did he like to eat? And it's just, you know, he used to chow down on pigeons. I don't think people like to talk about that because that kind of humanizes a guy that people just are more comfortable remembering and viewing as just a mass murdering genocidal maniac you know right which it is it's easier but that he was also a dude and you know he cried when he was a kid when he stubbed his toe and he maybe he probably cried as an adult i'm not minimizing what a terrible piece of shit he was but you know he was a person and i think getting in touch with some of that probably goes a long way to maybe preventing the next the next hitler Right. <laughs> so maybe not as bad as Hitler, but a U.S. Postal Service employee in Detroit, I'm assuming she got fired, but she just got busted. Happy holidays, everybody. Stealing over $2,000 out of individual, uh, multiple individual um, greeting cards for the holidays and then ditching, taking the money and ditching the cards on I-94. Her name is Sharon Berrien, and she stole as many as 2,000 pieces of mail, pocketing any cash and dumping the, dumping the leftovers, like you said, along the interstate. And they were mostly greeting cards, and she says that she stole this mail out of boredom. Did she spend the money out of boredom, too? <laughs> I am not sure, but apparently the thefts began last spring, and she actually says that she kept between $1,000 and $1,500. And she just maintains that she was bored. So if you mailed a, a greeting card out of or into Detroit and it didn't get there or didn't get to where it was supposed to go, you might have your 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 culprit. She said she didn't have any financial problems, that she was just bored, which is just it's so strange to me. But oh, this so, also so the money must have been donated to charity. Then This also makes me think because there's many times where packages have not been. Yeah either reached the person that I tried to send it to or reached me from someone else. And I just wonder if someone is walking around with my gift. It's likely. It's not I, very nice. I had a UPS package of a bunch of stuff that was mine. I was temporarily living somewhere and I had some things sent from when I lived in DC and, and the box came it had been opened and my super expensive, like $800 leather jacket was taken from the bottom of the box and, retaped so they just took the, the the jacket and left everything else so it happens it's terrible so we have an alarming story for you today yeah a very i don't know i don't really know how i feel about it at the Florida Lottery headquarters, Timothy Poole, 43, posed for a photo with an oversized check after claiming his $3 million scratch-off prize. But when the image hit the internet, others recognized the 450-pound man as a registered sexual predator. Uh, in 2001, the Orange County Sheriff's Office in Florida... I, I was just going to say, Orange County, Florida, obviously, from the Florida Files music. Uh, not Orange County, California, where we currently broadcast from arrested pool on charges of sexual battery on a victim under 12 Be so he's a dirty filthy child rapist before that he was arrested in 1991 for stealing almost twenty thousand dollars in food stamps from safeco where he worked as a guard all in all he's been arrested 12 times in florida on charges ranging from grand theft to forging a check so he is a sex offender as yeah. well as someone who steals uh, and he won three million dollars 
I would not be surprised if there this led to some kind of legislation that would preclude if you are convicted of certain crimes that you're 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 precluded from participating. There's got to be a way to do that, right? Because he is he's he is financially enriched right now. It's just it doesn't seem it doesn't just doesn't doesn't ride well with me. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what you can do if he's buying tickets. I mean, they can't. Can they prevent sex offenders from buying lottery tickets? I mean, I well, guess no, if they you, pass some kind of legislation, maybe. You don't. It's not like they're checking your ID. Hey, are you on the sex offender registry? I'm not going to sell you this. It's just that when they set, when you, when you go to claim your prize, if you are a convict of these certain crimes, you don't get to claim. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm... Maybe I haven't thought it through. It's just my emotional, my immediate emotional visceral response is to say, no, this is BS. You don't, you don't get to claim that prize. Right. Taking care of biz. So <laughs> this one's kind of funny, too, because I've never heard of this before. A baby was born mid-air Tuesday morning on a Southwest Airlines flight. That's... From San Francisco to Phoenix. Which is a relatively short flight. But it was diverted to L.A. because this woman birthed a child on the airplane. Wow. And so luckily there was an ERRN that well, really? was on board wow. and a doctor. And so both of those is, individuals helped her have the baby. That is the definition of serendipity. I mean, really, that's awesome. Right. So the ER, RN, and the doctor are taking care of biz this week because they helped this woman deliver her baby on board an airplane. Very interesting, though. Well, one, they got to find... Did they do it in the back of the plane by the shitters or what? Because that's... Yuck. I don't know, you, you but... You got to find a good spot because you don't want people looking at your, your bits, your, your intimate parts. You got to create like a little blanket fort or something. But then the other thing is that I find super interesting is this kid has an awesome story. Oh, right. Where do you say you were born? Where, what's your birth certificate say? Does oh, it yeah. just say that the state over which you were flying at the time or your GPS coordinates and then your altitude? Well, that's really. But also, you know, I have I don't have an interesting story. I was born in uh, Nez Perce County and. Northern Idaho and Lewiston, Idaho. That's not St. Joe's Hospital. I don't have an interesting story. This kid is going to, he's always, or he or she is always going to have that. And it's, that's, I think it's super cool. And the passengers all were clapping apparently. And there was a, there was a video posted on the airline's website of a flight attendant talking about how it was so amazing and all the passengers were awesome. And so apparently people had a good attitude about it. I don't know what the clapping was about. Hopefully they weren't all watching and like <laughs> around the woman while this was going on. While the kids squirt out. Yeah. Hopefully they gave her some space and, and left her alone. But the baby's healthy. The mom is healthy and everything's good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, like I said, this is this ended up being a little shorter show. Not too much, but a little bit. Uh, I am going to go to bed immediately upon putting this up on the interwebs. So we do appreciate you listening, everybody. We do. If you have anything that you want to sound off about this or any other episode, whether it be episode 45 that we talked about earlier or anything that you've listened to, sound off. If you... If you don't feel comfortable leaving a voicemail, which is 657-464-7609, or leaving an email at idoubtedatdollamore.com, you can certainly rate and review us on iTunes. That would be super helpful. The other thing is, I don't know how many, I think a lot of people go to the website to listen to the show. And if you have iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcast mechanism you have just subscribe to the show it gets delivered to you automatically it's super easy and it will it it, it creates more regular um statistical analysis that i can look at <laughs> so help me out and subscribe to the show other than that if you'd like to support the show dollamore.com up in the top right hand corner there is a link that says support 
the show there. You can use the Amazon link to buy a book or any one of the thousands of Christmas presents that you're going to purchase this year. If you're going to spend your money anyway on Amazon, why don't you use our link? It goes a long way to help us out, and we appreciate it very, very much. All of the purchases that have been made thus far, we are immeasurably appreciative of. We love you for listening. We appreciate you very, very much. Until next time, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore. This has been I Doubt It. Yeah, I caught her mid-betrayal. MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.